1: I am your host, Adam Buccieri, and today I am joined by Leonard and Dave. Hello. Hello. And today we will be talking about episodes one through five of the first season of Infinity Train. This was my kind of suggestion. Uh, I don't think that you guys were terribly familiar with Infinity Train before uh, I got you on board with this. Is that correct? Yes. I didn't
0: even know it was a thing. I had never heard of it.
1: Gotcha. So I had been familiar with it for uh, kind of a number of years because a pilot was made probably, uh, I think when I was still in college. I'm not sure. Uh, so it was something that I had kind of, you know, seen and was kind of in the back of my mind um, for for a number of years. And so it was cool to me when it finally released. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is a, if you are unfamiliar with Infinity Train, it is an anthology show, so each season follows new characters and goes to new locations and has a new, you know, central mystery or conflict, Uh, but they all take place on the Infinity Train, a train that uh drives forever through an endless barren wasteland with a seeming infinite number of cars that stretch beyond the horizon each car containing its own little universe um so yeah uh this the the genre of this show if you are uh familiar with it is new weird so are are the two of you familiar with the new weird as a genre
2: no no uh
1: it is a it's a relatively new genre and it's used to describe like kind of weird blends of fantasy and science fiction uh some supernatural horror Uh, But it all, like, kind of comes together into this, like, uh, somewhat unique blend uh, that I find very appealing. So other entries in the new weird genre, like, if you're familiar with, like, the Thief video games, where it's, like, kind of fantasy, but kind of steampunk. Uh, If you're familiar with, like, the movie Annihilation, where it's, like science fiction but horror and also just like you know uh those cosmic elements uh control is another game uh as well as you know anything in the scp foundation so those are all kind of uh entries into this genre which i think infinity train kind of neatly slots into uh which is cool that that is a a genre that i like kind of a modern take on like weird fiction, like Lovecraft, weird fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, but with, you know, some more modern elements, uh, a little bit more of a genre melange and yeah, I think it's cool.
0: Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't have, um, lumped some of those things together into one, one pot, but I can see like the commonality.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, we're here today to talk about the first five episodes of this season um this is a mystery show so i believe i'm going to be keeping spoilers kind of light and kind of contained to the first 5 episodes here uh because dave i know that you have only seen the first 5 episodes so far
3: as as, as have i i i've only watched the first 5 episodes uh i typically uh for the show only watch the uh, allotted number of episodes uh, when we're doing a series uh, for the the show. Um, so, as not to accidentally spoil anything that's coming up, and be equally surprised myself.
1: A wise policy, I would say. So, yeah, I am the, the one I've seen all four seasons of this. Uh, I believe I've seen them all twice. So this is going to be my third viewing of them. Uh, yeah, do we want to kind of go with any, like, overview thoughts like uh before we get dive into the thing like what was your your guys's first impression
2: go ahead leonard um hey so uh
3: this isn't a show for me uh and that's okay uh i respect it um it's just that um there's a lot of there. So, uh, if, if listeners, if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you, uh, probably have a good idea of the things that I'm into. And, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I find conceptually interesting about the show. Um, but the, like, main personal narrative, uh, ultimately falls flat for me because I'm an old man who's nearing his forties. And as much as I want to view something from a fresh perspective, um, a lot of the stuff that the, this uh, show caters in is for a a younger audience that hasn't explored the concepts like emotionally and like conceptually that I have. So a lot of my time watching it was spent really wishing that it hammered home on, like, the weird narrative stuff that it does. Because it does a lot of really fantastic, weird, narrative, evocative stuff that I am super into. Uh, but the personal aspect of the show, while I can relate, like, that, it hit a lot of notes that I related to as a uh, weird kid growing up in the 80s but it's like four kids that are growing up in the 2000s and I'm not that person anymore so long story short it is a it is a it is legitimately a, a really fantastic series that kind of um traips in stuff that I am deeply familiar with and I'm solely focused on the narrative aspects
2: of the show. That said, once again, it is it is a fantastically produced piece of meat. I'd say, uh, for my part, uh, I don't feel quite that far,
0: like, not attaching to it. But, um, I do see where you're coming from, Leonard. Uh, it's, it's, not, it has its, its, um, age audience, like targeted audience for this. I can understand the appeal to it. I like yes. all
2: of the weird stuff. Uh, yes. and then I, I also can like the, the main lead character, uh,
0: because this has a full or it's 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 building a arc and has character development character growth like that's i just needed to see that like if it goes through and it's just mm, say it's um adventure time or any other similar show that that would have come out maybe about
2: 10 years before this came out but um the characters kind of like end as they start, like it's the same character. Uh, so I mean, there's you know, there's some
0: things happening, but there's more going on with our main character here because it, it's it's more built around recognition of like oneself and one's place in their in their family
2: mm-hmm. and
0: the the idea of family and that's a little bit more nebulous than just this sort of uh, previous to this few last few generations the 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 idea of a nuclear family is not as much a thing right so there's a lot more stuff to kind of grapple with um, in society and this is taking a look at the breakdown of like the, the the fallout. Uh, unfortunately of <laughs> what happened with the dissolution of the nuclear family
1: and also just a, a real quick note about the format of the show uh this is a very bite-sized little thing it's 10 episodes each episode is 10 minutes long so it's a total of 100 minutes for the whole season and it is a heavily serialized show you know like yes. they they'll take little digressions but this is a single continuous story. And I think it's really meant to kind of be digested, you know, almost like a movie. Yeah. Uh, So, so
3: there are things that, that I, I, I would equate it to like over the garden wall, which is the thing that I absolutely adore and watch every year uh, around Halloween. Um, And uh, another series, which is gravity falls, which, yep. Once again, has a lot of stuff that is super conceptually interesting, but there's a lot of stuff around it. Like once again, it is, it, it, I'm not upset that a thing that isn't, that doesn't like connect with me exists, but I'm absolutely willing to, uh, you know, admit and talk about how it doesn't work for me. And once again, like I said with, uh,
2: about Infinity Train, there's a lot of really good stuff here for, um, people that
3: and this is going to sound really pretentious and I really apologize listener because I try not to sound as pretentious as humanly possible but I have I would say that I have a higher than average level of media literacy so um when I'm dealing with narratives and 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 story concepts that I can like instantaneously equate to other things that I've already seen um it 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 loses part of its appeal to me because I'm like yeah it's like this that I've already seen and we'll we'll get into it and I'm I'm going to try not to um you know hammer home on that point because I do really think that there's a lot of really good interesting sh- stuff in the show um but it's it's not new stuff it's not stuff that makes me take pause and say oh yeah that's a really interesting way
2: of framing this concept that i've already been exposed to i can see that
1: uh so uh again to reiterate kind of my history i am an animator and i went to school for animation and as a result like i just i just kind of immerse myself in this kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i don't really see too much of a distinction between uh uh media depending on its demographic you know i am very happy to watch a children's show uh as long as i feel like it's doing sufficiently interesting things you know gravity falls over the garden wall great examples i think those are things that can be enjoyed by anyone of any age yes and so uh, I can I can understand why this might chafe and especially um, this first season, I think, is uh, a little bit more simplistic than the show eventually becomes uh, in seasons two and three specifically. Like those get stranger and darker and more complex in a way that I think uh, really sings. But I think that this first season still uh, is pretty solid. Um and yeah, it, it it mostly works for me. Even though I also, you know, have a couple uh, criticisms with it.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Because uh, I I would definitely recommend that people watch this, um, regardless of my personal feelings uh, uh, about it, because it it is a quality piece of media and entertainment, and and I'm
2: glad that it exists. I think that this is not, so the I, I I mean I'm just like spitballing at the, the, the
0: demographic for this. I'm saying probably around twelve to fourteen years old, I think, would be roughly who was watching this. Mm-hmm. Um were I that age, then this would be like awesome. Um mm-hmm. but where this also sits and fits well is if you I guess at our age, if you have a kid that's not I guess they could be in high school. Um a teenager. Uh you can watch this with them and still get something out of it.
2: Yeah. And yeah, that's sure. like just to have that extra bit of connection cuz that's kind of what a lot of this is about anyway.
1: Yeah, I I think that this is something that can be enjoyed by more than just its uh
2: yeah. target demographic. Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: Do we want to get started?
2: yeah um what how does this thing
0: kick off
1: yeah so um so first of all uh again this is an anthology show split into these different seasons so season one is called the perennial child and it begins with episode one uh the grid car so the way that the show kicks off is uh you know very very much you know in the the mundane world we meet our main character tulip who is a young uh tween girl i would say probably between like 12 and 14 uh and she is walking home with a friend uh telling her about how excited she is to go to game design camp in oshkosh uh but yeah she she's you know uh clearly established as being like a little bit weird, a little bit of an outsider. Uh she's eating a raw onion because that's kind of her her thing. She likes raw onions. Uh doesn't really make much of a uh a statement other than being, you know, uh, a little weird character quirk for her. But um yeah, very excited to go to this game design camp and as they are approaching her home, the friend you know, kind of brings up the the clearly sore topic uh, about her parents recently getting divorced and just, you know, kind of asking like, hey, are you okay? You know, um, to which she, you know, kind of brushes off and buries her feelings and just, you know, yeah, ma- makes, uh,
2: makes light of it uh, as much as she can. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's clearly a sore topic for Tulip. Uh, Tulip?
3: yeah okay (laughs) um just making sure because i know daisy comes into play in the later episode that we're gonna be talking about but just uh yeah it's hey guess what being a child of divorce sucks and when friends bring it up it's not a fun thing to talk about so um that's super understandable and relatable for me personally and um completely understand how how that uh how how her reaction to you know bring it up and that's not to say that her friends doing it insensitively she's yeah. doing it out of concern but mm-hmm. it, when it's still fresh and raw it you don't want to talk about
1: it. yeah she uh, the friend is being tactful but it's just you know it, it's clearly enough of a an open wound that It's still not welcome regardless, you know, asking like, you know, are your parents talking after the divorce? Like, you know, are they okay? And
2: you know, that's a complicated question to, to ask for a kid. Um,
1: Yeah. So she, uh, she gets home, she goes upstairs, she starts uh, doing computer programming, which is her, her passion. And she's making a little like space invaders, which is cute.
0: Yeah that that part so she's talking about her game and going to the um the camp and everything and it, yes she's younger but I had friends in high school that were working on games so it's a little older but the even back in like the late 90s the quality of what they were making versus this it just like I was not expecting I was like oh that's okay that's her game I mean that's still that's that takes work it's still hard to do but um it was just like wait i was expecting something <laughs> a little bit more complicated
1: yeah it's a little bit difficult to pin down exactly like when this series takes place cuz like she's programming what feels like an 80s game but like the, the there are like modern phones and so it's yeah it's a little bit difficult to tell when
0: it it this sits in the the place that like napoleon dynamite kind of sits <laughs> where it's it's not it wasn't contemporary to when it was released I don't Mm. think but it doesn't give you like there's not like a thing that pop seven says this is 1980 whatever um it was like more like 19 (laughs) XX it could could be something sometime somewhere and things are recognizable enough
3: yeah Yeah. it's a little anachronistic uh um but the fact that smartphones with uh, you know, full screen, uh, you know, user interfaces exist. And I'm like, okay, so this is clearly like, no, not clearly. That's, that's a presumption on my part. This feels like something modern because it's clear at least by referencing going to Oshkosh that she's like in, you know, flyover country of. Los Angeles, uh, not Los Angeles, <laughs> the United States. Listen, everybody, I do not think that Los, A- Los Angeles or California is the whole of the United States, but um it is it,
1: flyover city, Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly.
3: It it's it it feels modern enough to me that I just kind of pinned it in like roughly like twenty twelve to I don't know twenty sixteen.
0: <laughs> yeah, and well and it's rural America right. and there's plenty of places where internet you can find them where it's still might as well just be dial up. So yep. yeah. Yeah. You can it, it it's broad strokes. You you understand like what it's presenting. Um and there's there's some other stuff that pops up in a few episodes that doesn't give you a time frame but gives you
2: like the um state of the economy like at the time Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so she's uh, upstairs doing her little programming she gets called downstairs for dinner uh, and that's when it's revealed to her that her dad has accidentally double booked with a business trip and isn't able to take her to camp and mom's too busy she isn't able to take her either so she's just stranded and is gonna have to miss this thing that she's clearly been you know counting the days down to
0: working on a game to show off at
3: the camp and be the cool kid yeah so i do have to say um like this is probably um the most emotional response that i got um that the series managed to get out of me because, once again, as a child of divorce, I've run into this situation. And the fact that they go through the trouble of even highlighting that her parents made a deal with her to improve her grades in English class uh, and wrote a contract that they both signed uh, in order right, to contract. facilitate this is like infuriating to me because i'm like oh yeah no i know what that's like i know how that feels where there is a promise made and one party fulfills it and then the other parties absolutely renege on it because um adult stuff and that's more important than anything else and i was like I was actually actively furious and really aligned emotionally with Tulip in this moment. Because the first thing, like when she was like, I even signed the contract. I was like, what, what, what? Oh, oh, you like, there's like written paperwork saying that this is what's going to happen, what I'm going to do and what you're going to do. And the, the adult thing outweighed that. And, I get screwed. I was like, I, I was actually, I was actually livid uh, when when this came up.
0: Yeah. And these parts of the show, I think these are the, the, the kind of anchor stone. These are the really well-written parts. Like you can, Mm -hmm. you understand like the family dynamics. You see exactly what's going on. You can feel like all parts of it because you, you get what
2: Tulip's going through. Um you get that she's reacting in a way that a, a child her age would. Um and then you can see the parents like trying to cope with the situation and and their own life and their own stuff falling apart and it's like
0: yeah, it's it's effective. Uh and I I wish there was more of that mm-hmm. than the sort of um parable I guess that the infinity train becomes like okay
2: i I mean you can see what it's doing um but it well, we'll get into it as the episodes go,
1: yeah. So, uh, you know, understandably she's furious about this. And so, uh, that night she packs up and runs away to to go to camp by herself. Uh So yeah, just running through the woods, you know. It, it doesn't strike me like she has any kind of a great plan. Maybe she'll hitchhike whatever she even but you know, bring food she's or- determined.
3: She's she's traveling 300 miles. <laughs> she, and then she she literally put on a glove and like a a coat a winter coat and and ran across a cornfield and I'm like okay yeah this is this is this is a thing that a child would do um but you're not you're not getting to <laughs> you're not getting to camp that it's not way a,
1: it's not a good plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, However, you know, as she's running through a field, you know, kind of right on top of her, like this train appears uh, and the door opens and, you know, she's hesitant at first, but she goes to get on. Uh, But when the door opens, uh, she is sucked into a portal of some kind and uh, kind of blacks out. And the next time that we see her open her eyes, she's in the snow. And so it's like, oh, maybe it was a dream. You know, maybe she just fell asleep in the snow. Um, and she wakes up and there's a couple of snowmen and she, you know, is upset and, you know, is harassing them. Uh, but one of the snowmen has uh an unusual head, which is that is a spherical robot uh named one one. One one is a uh a little robot that is like two halves, two semicircles that are formed together to create an orb. Uh, with two different personalities, kind of in one, there's uh sad one and glad one sad one being you know uh dejected and a little bit nihilistic, and glad one being upbeat and uh doofy uh n- both of them seemingly having lost their memories
2: and asking, "Are you my mum yeah uh which uh once again <laughs> uh, um uh,
3: I, a character, a, a weird character in a weird world asking if you, uh, ha- if you're my mother, uh, then just instantly transports me to, uh, Jack Pumpkinhead from Return to Oz. And I'm like,
1: wow. oh yeah, I've seen this,
3: <laughs> this
1: before. I mean, I immediately go to the, the Richard Scary, are you my mother? You know, little, uh, uh children's book where Mm. it's just like are you my mother no you are a bulldozer (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah so uh she finds this little robot weird doesn't quite know what to make of it uh she finds this giant bizarre looking door uh Opens it and reveals that she is, in fact, on a train. She is on the Infinity Train, a train that stretches beyond the horizon, cart after cart after cart, stretching beyond sight, uh, traveling through this bizarre, blasted wasteland. uh, Very apocalyptic-looking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, this...
3: And, and then it stops. And, and, and this is where it gets into the weird nightmare stuff that I'm like, Oh yeah, give me more of that. Put that and let my snapses feed on that. Because there's a horrible vortex in the sky that literally rips the soul of somebody out of the train and feeds on it. And I'm like, oh, this is the this is the weird off-putting stuff that I exist for.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a Dark Souls like skybox. Uh absolutely. Yeah, it's it's pretty metal looking. So, um, Yeah, so so she has exited the one car, which contained this, you know, snowy world. You know, each car seemingly contains a universe. And so opening up the next door, uh, she finds herself in the grid car. It is this blank white car that is lined with a grid. And each little square, if you touch it, uh, it makes a little musical note. And like a cube extrudes from that and so you know immediately they start playing around with it building little shapes building little towers and stuff uh they have a little bit of fun uh and at one point tulip takes off her glove to like throw it at uh, a cube and realizes that she has a glowing green number on her hand on on the palm of her hand yeah so so understandably pretty alarming very bizarre um So at that point, you know, she she kind of panics a little bit, goes outside the train and sees what Leonard referred to earlier. You know, seemingly like a soul being sucked out by this beam of light, like uh, disintegrating them into this vortex. Uh, Pretty, pretty nightmarish imagery. Uh, So, you know, immediately she panics. She wants to get off the train. Uh, So she jumps down and runs out into this wasteland. Uh, which is full of mud and a single dead tree and basically nothing else. And as she is running, uh, these like genuinely pretty scary looking cockroach dog things uh, uh, emerge out of the mud.
2: I love the roach (laughs) dogs. I'm like,
3: oh man, that's like a new thing. That's really gross and off-putting,
2: and like, legitimately, like, hey. I love, uh, yeah, I love, genuinely
3: weird, off-putting monster designs. And the roach dogs are real gross and bad. They got like, it's, it's weird. It's like, okay, what if, um. Uh, You took the weird uh, feeler mouths from the the, uh, graboids from Tremors, but just made them like feeler tendrils, and then attached them to a dog that had a cockroach body, and I'm like, yeah, that's the stuff that I'm looking
1: for here. Yeah, the mouths are like these writhing little like stubby tentacles, almost like a a sea anemone or something. They're like- Uh their mouths are literally like the worm faces from Elden Rings. Oh, sure. Rain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, very unsettling design. Uh, so, of course, she panics, starts running back to the train, because there's clearly nothing out here in the wasteland. One-one um, starts singing Yakety Sax, <laughs> which is uh, you know, says, oh, no, it's just some random thing. No, it's Yakety Sax. It's legally Yakety Sax. Um, but yeah, uh, she, you know, climbs a wheel, starts escaping, uh, but then it's revealed that these things have wings and start flying after her, so that's no good. Um... Yeah, she she runs back into the car, slams the door shut, but one of the creatures manages to to wedge itself in and make its way into the grid car. Uh at which point a a interesting kind of uh fight scene happens where they're using the environment to like, you know, extrude these cubes to build little barricades and block the path and and uh do other things to slow this creature down, which I thought was pretty neat.
2: Yeah, that part was really fun, and it's, um, I think because the cubes, like, they're, they
0: make music, like, Mm -hmm. notes, and they're all different colors, uh, it's just, it's visually pleasing to watch her, like, build them up really quickly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's a, a an interesting contrast to have like this clean, white, colorful musical room, and then just this like <laughs> really gross cockroach dog like skidding around, like doing everything it can to, to absorb
0: uh, her soul.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Yeah. So <laughs> so it it, like, pins her down, and then, like, you know, uh, the only thing I can think of is, like, similar to, like, a Dementor. Like, starts sucking, like, her her life, her soul out, and you see her, like, start to wither uh, under it until 1-1 uh, one, one kind of distracts it, and she's able to get out from under it.
0: Yeah, it, it reminded me of what happens in um uh, Frighteners, when the ghosts, or people get in their ghost
2: bodies sucked out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks I like You can this. see that. Mhm. Just less frightening or more frightening depending.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh after like one last uh, you know, harrowing little dive of building a barricade and able to to get away from it. Uh, you know, she escapes from the car and leaves that thing locked in there. Uh as a fun treat for for anyone else who decides to go back that way. Um but, you know, then it, it she starts talking about, you know, she's a very logical person. She sees things in code. She, she likes to have rules. Uh, and she says that even crazy things have to have their own rules. So, you know, there must be a logic to this place, even if we don't understand it right now. Uh, and at that point, you know, she asks one one, you know, this is a train. A train has to have a conductor. Is there a conductor? Uh, which gives her her new goal uh to get to the engine, find the conductor,
2: and get off the train. Yeah, it was a again, these are such little bite-sized episodes. It um it it crammed
0: quite a bit into that ten minutes. Like there's a lot going on, um,
2: even if it's really just a sort of taste of what's going to be happening moving forward yeah it's pretty dense
1: yeah so that brings us to episode two uh the beach car uh this episode like most of the episodes uh starts with a montage of them going through a number of wacky cars full of wacky stuff uh special shout out to like there are these little like beard gnomes who yeah, i think yeah. are pretty great <laughs>
3: Yeah, the wizards that are literally just beards <laughs> that, sh- that that scream spell, spell, spell as they shoot magic. I was like, oh, I actually really like that. That's real <laughs> dumb. That's real dumb. That's like my kind, like my peak level of like, oh, that's dumb nonsense. Reappropriation of things that I've seen already. Uh And I love that they're like wandering through this like cave system. And they're, like, roosted like bats. Like, they're not upside down, <laughs> but they're in, like, little... They all got little nooks, and, <laughs> and Tulip's like, we need to stay quiet. And one one obviously wakes them all up, and thus we're treated to all of them screaming, spell, 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 and the revelation that um there's nothing underneath the beard. Their beards are ambulatory and legs.
1: Yeah, they, they run on their little beard. <laughs> uh which is pretty great. Uh spoiler this is not the last time we see these little guys in this series. So that's awesome because
3: when I saw them I was like, "Oh, that reminds me of the gnomes from Gravity Falls."
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh So yeah, uh she they've merged out of that. Uh they spend some time talking and she Like, reminisces a little bit about time with her family, about how they would, like, fix go-karts together uh, with her dad, and how that was, you know, just a fun bonding experience. And that's when she looks down and notices that her number on her hand has dropped from 115 to 114. And so that just brings a new level, you know, before you could have assumed that, like, this was a a label, but now the number means something, uh, and it's falling.
2: And she gets the, um, helpful information that, um, she will die when that reaches zero.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's, she's kind of catastrophizing and she asks one one if she's <laughs> going to die when it hits zero. And one one's just like, yes.
0: Yes, 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 she
2: will.
1: Yes. Uh, so yeah, she's, you know, uh, understandably distraught, uh, and heads into the next car, the beach car, uh, where we find a, uh, spoiler like uh, a very important character in this uh whole series the cat um the cat is first seen talking to a sentient blob of water uh it is a white cat who wears a vest with an ascot uh she speaks with an aristocratic cadence uh and occasionally like will will break into french uh she's clearly a charlatan of some kind always has an angle Uh, and she is currently attempting to sell a pipe, uh, as a quote donut holer, uh, which simply means that you can stab a hole into something, which obviously turns it into a donut.
2: Yeah. Yes. Anything can be made into a donut. A hat. Uh, A straw hat. In fact.
1: (laughs) Boom. Donut. Uh, but yeah, so the cat uh, mentions that the the donut holer has been, like, officially sanctioned by the conductor. Uh, and hearing this name, uh, that attracts the attention of Tulip, who uh, more or less instantly sizes her up, sees a sucker, and starts figuring out how to work the situation to her advantage. Uh, yeah, she pretty quickly proves that 1-1 doesn't really know what he's talking about. uh, Putting some doubt that, you know, the number dropping to zero probably doesn't mean that you'll die, but, you know, she's also coy about what it does mean. Uh, But Tulip is more upset with 1-1 that he would, you know, uh, uh, seemingly lie to her, or at least be cavalier about, you know,
2: misleading her. Yeah, the... The cat from... From the get-go, of course, the cat's being painted as an unreliable, probably untrustworthy uh, figure that is swindling this poor, like, goofball blob.
1: Yeah, the sentient blob of water named Randall, who can split himself into an infinite number of identical Randalls.
0: Yes, and hold... um, intelligible somewhat conversations with the other versions of himself because they're just all the same
3: yep Yep. it's he's like he's 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 a he's a dumber version of multiple men from the marvel comic books
2: (laughs) yeah uh
1: yeah so um pretty quickly the cat presents a bargain uh she will go and put in a good word with the conductor to help her get where she wants. Uh and all that she asks is that first tulip help fix her vehicle, which we know that Tulip has some experience fixing go-karts, so you know, she's a little bit handy. Um the vehicle, it should be noted, is like this cool orb. Uh I don't really know how to describe it. I think it's a pretty neat little like science fiction vehicle. It's uh this sphere. You get inside it, and then it kind of like skates along the the surface of, of metal.
3: When when I saw it before it was actually activated and mobile, I was like, "Oh, that's like the uh, the time machine from the time machine remake mm-hmm. that nobody saw." <laughs> um, just this weird spherical thing with like this really nice gilded lattice work inlaid with glass. I'm like, "Oh, that's a that's a." pretty like piece of of like outdated technology but like still fantastical and futuristic enough
1: yeah it's got a very like kind of uh luxurious almost art nouveau quality to yes absolutely uh but the the other condition uh the bargain that the cat is trying to make uh is that she'll take one one off her hands You know, she'll just take that little robot, scoot on up to the front of the train, and then uh, take care of things. So, at this point, Tulip is still pretty upset with 1-1 for the seeming deception. And so, agrees. Um, They go on, you know, a little underwater adventure with Randall. They do some shenanigans. uh, But, eventually, uh, you know, they get the piece they need. They're fixing it up. uh, And... They eventually coax Tulip into talking a little bit about her name because they're like, oh, Tulip, that's a weird name. Uh, and she reveals that it comes from the fact that when she was born, she had this kind of vague uh, illness. And the doctors weren't sure that she would make it. But uh, eventually she rebounded and she sprang back just like a perennial. And so she she earned her name that way. Uh
0: uh, yeah, and the cat like hits her with some snark. I think something
3: about he could have been any flower then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Or radish.
2: Yeah. Yes.
3: Um. One of the uh, uh. There's a really uh. There's a bit that I I absolutely love when uh Randall parts the seas to the mm-hmm. underwater blob water city, which is the salesman selling gelatin. Because all the blob people have, have, are just kind of like columns, like vaguely human shaped columns of water. And the gelatin guy's like, look at this. And he steps out behind his table and he's got legs. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a really funny joke because now you can actually form legs because you pour, you pour gelatin into yourself. I'm like, oh, this is, yeah, that's cute. I like that.
1: Yeah, uh gelatin legs is pretty funny. Uh and, and the whole like little underwater city is all exclusively populated by Randalls, all buying and selling things from and to themselves. So <laughs> Uh
2: yeah. So, uh after that she uh blah, sorry. So she needs to get here. a gear.
0: I think it's a gear. Yeah, it's um, a to fix the, the one thing it's missing, it's like
2: this dusty spot. Like, oh, look, a gear is missing. And um, I think, um, I don't know if she remembers. Yeah, maybe they saw a gear at the little Randall shop. But um, I
1: think Randall he, says that he knows where to find it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then to
0: the and shop. goes back to that shop. But one um, one had given her a flower. Yeah. And she. It's like a uh, special the, gift, and she totally just trades it for <laughs> the gear,
1: the deer flower that I got for my very special one of a kind best friend.
0: Yeah, and then the Randall's like, "I want that." That she's like, "I don't need money," or he's like, "I have a coin or something." It's like, "I don't want that. Give, give me that thing that means something. I would. I'll trade
3: you my special gear for that meaningful thing." My my favorite part is that the the flower is a daisy and when one one gives it to her he's like, Look, it's you and she's like, That's a daisy.
1: <laughs> yeah, very cute. Um but you know, one one, even if he uh is all scrambled up and and doesn't know if anyone's his mom or not, you know, is is sweet and sincere. So, ultimately, with the bargain fulfilled, the cat loads one-one into her little orb, uh, says that she'll be back with help, and then uh, launches herself up and across the the top of the train's cars, uh, scooting along the top, totally bypassing uh, the interiors. And it's yeah, also it's
0: like the little thing, it's like it fires a dart gun, like an electromagnetic dart gun, and just like zzz, makes itself a
1: yeah.
2: It, it, like, line?
1: fires this little magnet, which looks like, I don't know, like, the birdie in Badminton. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And then, uh, wh- where the magnet lands, the orb will then, like, magnetize to that, so it's able to kind of, like, hopscotch by shooting this thing and then attracting itself to it. Uh, yeah. Again, it's, it's
0: a fun, fun design.
3: Uh, one of the things that I love about it, which is, is just, like, um, Red flag that this character is untrustworthy is she's like, yeah, it'll take like two or three days for me to get some to from the train. I'm like, yeah, you're lying. I mean, you're a charlatan and a hack and, and, um, Randall even <laughs> mentioned like, oh, it's like a pyramid scheme. This thing that you're trying to sell me on. <laughs> uh, so when she was like, yeah, I'll take a couple of dates when we get there. I'm just like, oh, you're just going to abandon her. You can't be trustworthy. Cause um, initially when, when this character, um, you know, uh, came into the narrative. I was like, oh, this is going to be the third companion, the weird, untrustworthy character uh that mm-hmm. uh that uh will sell everybody out uh to save her own skin. Uh and and they do subvert that um uh it it cleverly but I was like fully in uh expecting that this was like the third companion on this trip because everything works better in threes.
1: Yeah. Uh pretty reasonable assumption we will indeed get our third companion. Uh but there's definitely more to the cat than than we've seen so far. Yes. So, um yeah, Tulip uh kind of goes back, sits down and is like, you know, remorseful. She's she pretty quickly knows that she messed up by by trading, you know, the her friend away and resolves to go get him back so she recruits randall to go help her catch up with the cat so uh at that point a pretty neat little chase scene uh ensues with randall being you know this blob of water just kind of sprinting along the top of the train uh alongside uh this orb and the orb is trying to get away it's launching itself to and fro and eventually randall Uh, soaks himself through the cracks in the the orb short-circuiting it uh and causing it to crash uh the cat of course is furious uh you know clearly they have made an enemy uh at this point but one one is recovered and safe and sound and yeah all all is forgiven uh and at that point her number drops again
2: uh, so I just want to say
3: that, that, um, while I did enjoy this, uh, the, the, the lead up, uh, to the chase sequence, I then, uh, uh, because I've got weird brain, uh, immediately was like, wait, so Randall can just break the laws of thermodynamics because he split himself up into like six different versions of himself and when they all came back together there was significantly more liquid than when he started i'm like i'm i'm really interested in like how this
2: species operates now
1: randall disrespects the square cube rule <laughs> uh yeah it also is just like extremely fast and able to you know, near instantly catch up with the the thing. Randall's exceedingly powerful for, for how dumb he is.
0: That, that's why Randall had to go away.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that aspect of the fact that, like, considering how long the cat had been traveling and how quickly uh, Tulip and Randall caught up to her, I was like, wait, you could have just asked Randall to take you to the front of the train to meet the conductor. What's going on? <laughs> please, please he he would have gotten yeah. tired it's, it's he, the whole issue he, of the eagles
0: taking the fellowship to moria he would
3: have evaporated that was the that was the thing that i i ultimately settled on <laughs> the friction of him traveling across the top of the cars would have eventually caused him to evaporate to which i then said wait but he can divide infinitely and create more <laughs> mass so what's oh, the no. problem he, he can only be gone from the water for so long yes these are the answers that that I, I I search for when things like this happen in shows.
1: <laughs> I personally think that it's just because Randall's uh uh kind of dumb and hard to wrangle. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think I, just keeping him on tr- on task would be the the biggest challenge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh but also, you know, not to to wave it away, uh time is a little hard to to tell uh on the train so i suppose we don't know how long they were chasing uh which brings us to the the next episode the corgi car uh where another week has passed so yes. there have been she has been on this train for multiple weeks at this point
0: eating nothing
1: <laughs> oh you and did
3: went through never that two to a problem You went through that too? Where I was like, I just want to, I just need them to show her eating something. I desperately need them to show her eating something because she keeps talking about how much time has passed, but I never see her consume food.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a sense that things are timey-wimey here that, you know, uh, Time is passing, but I I don't think that's an oversight. I don't think she needs to eat. I don't think that she needs to sleep. Like, we we don't see these things in the show.
3: Well, the thing that I ultimately settled on is because there's, like, this weird framing. Not weird. uh, They frame episodes where mostly, at least starting from this point, I believe they frame episodes where um, Tulip is, like, exiting a car and there she's saying goodbye to the friends that she made along the way and I'm like okay so she ate during then it was off screen she ate she she drank that was when all the uninteresting
2: human things that a human needs to do happened in these adventures that we didn't see yeah
1: yeah yeah um yeah, but this uh episode starts with another montage of going through cars. This time Tulips, you know, has decided that she needs to get to the front of the train and the best way to do that is to speed run as many cars as possible. So she just starts going, uh, you know, doesn't stop for anything. Uh just barrels through car after car and we get to see a bunch of goofy little uh vignettes. I'm partial to the the train car that's just full of cross-eyed ducks. Like <laughs> yes. floating with cross-eyed
3: ducks (laughs) the reason why this one works for me is the one duck that talks to her and says can you help me find my normal eyes (laughs) and i'm like oh man there's a real dark story going on in this trip this car universe that i don't want that i actually don't want to explore (laughs)
1: Yeah, uh tune into my 44 part YouTube explainer about the hidden darkness behind every
0: car, car number 45.
1: <laughs> car yeah, number...
3: the the duck card, the cross-eyed the duck. duck card.
0: <laughs> Not as good as the cross-eyed bear card.
3: Uh no, I mean, significantly better than the cross-eyed bear card to be
2: perfectly honest. <laughs>
1: But yeah, you know, uh, she she's getting frustrated at her number. The number doesn't change. She can't figure out, you know, what it correlates to uh, when she so desperately wants to understand the rules of this place. Uh, so she goes into the next car, which ends up being the Corgi car, which I, uh, I like very much. This is also um, what the pilot episode was. The Kingdom of Cordelia an enlightened society populated by talking dogs, specifically corgis. And it's, you know, this very idyllic rolling <laughs> landscape. There are these kind of, like, Greek temples. And they're just, uh, they just seem like they're having a good time. This seems like a good car.
3: Yeah, it's um... like if the Elysium fields were full of corgis that could talk. Well, one that Well, and the one because... ugly
0: dog the one, uh,
3: yeah that's that's also a really fun bit of like oh it's a dog with normal portions and thus it is the ugliest
1: dog in the kingdom it's like a flowing yeah. mane yeah it's like uh, yeah yeah it's good <laughs> sun is illuminating it and it's like you know mane is bellowing majestically in the breeze and they're just like oh so ugly so <laughs> gross <laughs> But yeah, this is where we beat, who ends up becoming kind of the third member of our adventuring party, uh, King Atticus of Cordelia, who is a very sweet little corgi with a crown, who, fun fact, is voiced by um, Winston from Ghostbusters.
2: Oh, really? hmm Interesting, so I have to fact. go back and listen to him again.
0: So when I watched these, couple of them... And this happened with um, Doro and some other things where I, I'm i watching my phone and I don't always have the, the luxury of having the volume on. So it's like, sure. we're turning on the captions. And so sometimes I, I don't know what the characters sound like. I just have to go, okay, that's probably what it sounds like. I'll have to go
1: back and listen to too. He he has a very pleasant baritone voice.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I no, I, I'm 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 actually very surprised to know that that was Ernie Hudson because I'm always happy <laughs> when Ernie Hudson gets work. To be perfectly honest,
0: yeah, the only thing I've That's seen cool. him in recently is the Car Shield Car Shield um, commercials.
3: Yeah, the last thing that I saw him in was uh, Grace and Frankie <laughs> mm-hmm. on Netflix. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so King Atticus comes up, greets her, insists on the, the Royal Tour, which, you know, uh Tulip is still trying to speed run this, but you know, they're running out of steam, you know, they've been they've been pushed hard for a while, and it's like, okay, well maybe we'll just take things a little bit slower. And so they they get a good look, look around. Cordelia is very cute and good. Uh, and then it's revealed that there are these floods that have been happening recently, uh, which is, you know, uh, a mystery as to what has been causing them. Uh, but they claim that there is a monster up in them, there hills. So, uh, yeah, uh, they team up and they decide to go for it. And it's during this part, like, uh, we get some cute little bits with Atticus where they're just like, OK, you want to go outside? You want to go outside? Won't go aside. And he's just like, yes, no, no. Uh. Uh, pretty cute. Uh, they have to tear, carry him across the water, and he's just like flailing desperately. Uh, no,
0: after warning, he's like, I don't like to go across the water. They're like, okay, but we got to go. And he's like, You don't understand. I, like, I don't like to be picked up either. <laughs> you. you have to pick me up.
3: My my favorite aspect of the I don't like to go across the water is previously he was he had said about him and his kingdom. It's like it's at least two and a half feet of water. Should we try to cross? We would surely drown. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, Uh they are stubby little guys, and it is it is too much for them to handle.
3: They're they're just canine armwa uh yeah, armwas? Is that the thing that you put your th- feet uh, on?
2: No. Ottomans, yeah, they're I A-9 mean, Ottomans.
0: Yeah, well, they're they I think, they're all, um, Pembroke, corgis. I don't think yes. there was any cardigan ones, which was made me sad because I like the cardigans, corgis.
3: Dave, Dave has a specific. No, I've, ge- I, I've owned. Corgi. Dave has a specific eugenics dog that
2: he prefers. Yes, give me this. I was going to go with this, this type, but
0: <laughs> they they have terrible terrible health problems.
3: As do most animals. So, yeah, think that's like
0: a pure. Everything's been bred out of it. well everything
3: has been bred out of it and all of the recessive genes have been bred into it listen i love animals i love dogs and i get it i get that you want a specific thing but man like let them interbreed with something else just so we're not getting we're not getting hats for dogs (laughs) all over the
1: place yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I love dogs, but like, I don't want to create like you know. Sometimes we create little monsters, and we shouldn't do that. <laughs> sometimes we play a prank on nature, and that's a bad thing. No, I think nature plays a prank on us through hubris most, <laughs> most
2: often. Yeah, <laughs>
1: surely. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, they they cross the water and they start heading up this hill, and as they do, like there are these distinct signs that things are are strange you know there is a kind of isolated little snow cloud uh the sun is like jerking back and forth through the sky very unnaturally uh you know things are are behaving very strangely and they get up to the top of the hill where they have seen like this strange shadow and You know, they get startled, they hide from it, and then they find out, oh, wait, no, it's just the shadow of a spider that's just, like, being illuminated by this weird glowing orb. And they're like, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just a spider. Uh, Which Atticus immediately eats the spider. Because Uh,
3: because animals are gross and will eat anything that's alive (laughs) and smaller than them.
1: Yes, but he then uh, proudly declares, the monster is vanquished. (laughs) We've done it. Uh, Which is pretty cute. Uh, and then they're like, "Yeah, well, no, a spider casting a scary shadow doesn't cause floods, like what's going on, and what's up with this weird orb And so they look a little bit farther and they see like all of these very unnatural uh like floating mechanical panels uh with these orbs that are embedded in them, uh some of them being removed, and we see this uh ver- another very unnerving creature design uh this robot squid octopus uh with like a mannequin face
3: yeah yeah uh, uh, a ima- mat hey listener imagine the squiddies from the matrix but with uh jc penny's mannequin face attached to where it's horrible multi-dyed robot
1: faces and the eye sockets filled with burning Rage. blue fire yes <laughs> uh yeah, it's a it's a great little design. Uh this thing is called the Steward. So I'm just going to refer to it as such because otherwise I don't know how to describe this thing. Um yeah, I think the Squiddies from the Matrix is like a, a really good touch point for uh how it moves, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh very unsettling design. So uh yeah, we, we see it interfering and uh removing uh, another one of these orbs, and as it does, like a tree flickers out of existence. Uh, clearly showing that the orb seemed to correlate with the reality of the car.
3: Yep, I'm like, oh, it's the it's the holodeck. <laughs> I grew up watching TNG. I'm like, oh, it's the holodeck. All are all these cars just like weird holodeck
2: instances to keep people passive. <laughs> yeah. Um.
1: So 1-1, of course, decides he wants to say hi, uh, makes a noise, and the steward uh, immediately turns around, its eyes uh, (laughs) get machine gun barrels, and it just starts blasting the location that they were at, uh, you know, disintegrating the bush that they were hiding behind. I, I
3: have to say, like, the machine gun barrels shooting out of, the, like, popping out of the eye holes. I'm like, man, that feels like something Ralph Bakshi would have done with this character. <laughs> yeah. This feel like, that moment, I was like, man, that feels like it fell out of a Wizards sequel.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, name drop Wizards as, like, yeah, Wizards are, like, heavy metal. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's a a good uh, design. and It's a a good moment. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, they're like kind of pinned down. They don't know what to do. Uh, uh, Atticus charges and it is immediately dispatched by the steward. Uh, And things look pretty dire until 1-1 rolls out. And there's kind of this significant moment where, you know, the steward looks at 1-1, seemingly recognizes something, and then flees the scene. So there's
3: there's one thing that I want to... Uh, wanna highlight about this, like, fight sequence, which is Tulip manages to open the door and, like, slam one of the, the doors, because they're French doors, they're, they're two, mm-hmm. slam one of it into the steward's face, and its face opens up, and I'm like, there's, That's like, an aperture for a thing that would absolutely fit one, one in there, <laughs> and then, as soon as he, like, pops out and the steward runs away i'm like all right okay let's see where this goes (laughs) because that's the thing like i'm just like oh that's corollary i'm just like i'm like it doesn't necessitate causation but i'm like that's that's got my brain working and i'm like oh that's real good i like that i like that a lot
1: yeah, there is a significant vacuum uh in in a recess behind the mask of the steward's face. Yes. Yeah, so uh this episode ends with Tulip's number dropping once again and Tulip just kind of finally accepting that like okay, I don't have the answers. I don't I don't know what's causing this and I don't know. You you know, I'm not fully in control, and I just have to surrender a little bit to this and kind of go with the flow
3: i do love that it took her at least a week at least a week to like okay i don't i don't have any control over this nightmare train that holds alternate universes within all of its cars i'm just gonna let it ride and deal with it that way but you know once again younger person like they self-actualization and wanting to have control over their personal agency in life and especially in a situation like this really
2: makes sense
1: yeah and you know uh it's not something that you know uh started after the divorce of her parents but like i think that especially makes sense in that context where it's like yeah you know when your life feels out of control. You know, you want to be able to to hold on to something. You want to feel like you're on firm ground as much as possible. And, you know, surrendering control is a difficult thing to do in those
2: circumstances.
1: Yeah, so uh, that episode ends with uh, Atticus declaring that while they may have stopped the the immediate threat... Uh, The steward is still out there posing a danger, and thus it is his royal duty to continue to protect and uphold uh, the safety of the residents of uh, Cordelia by joining the adventuring party and continuing along with them.
3: In a moment that I was like, this is like Labyrinth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Certidimus. Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah, he does have some Sergidimus energy for sure. <laughs> he, he's Sergidimus D- D- and uh, Ambrosius
2: rolled combined, all yeah. in one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that brings us to the next episode The Crystal Car. Um,. The cold open here is them helping a flower lady start a restaurant. This one feels like they've been in this car for like a, a week solid.
3: <laughs> I also really want to like I really want to highlight how much I love um the art direction for this, because it's very pastoral, the backgrounds are very pastoral, and like, oh yeah, this is like, uh, you know, the stuff that I would have seen in an actual French restaurant. Like, I like that this particular car feels really stylized uh, Mm -hmm. artistically uh, uh, from the other ones, because they've they've all been kind of like, artistically samey, but this one is like, no, no, this is like a, a a painting like it and and i really enjoyed that aspect of it
1: i also really enjoyed that they're like debating on what the car is called and one of the proposed names is the quote the straight up italy car
3: that's my that is also that that has actually just got a laugh out of me because i was like just straight up italy and i'm like yep that's that's what i would call it too um, yeah, I really like, I really like this cold open because it's, 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 it's very different from the cold opens from the, the previous episodes. And I'm like, oh, that's real neat. I, I hope to see more of this moving forward.
1: Yeah. The way that they use this kind of reminds me of like the Simpsons couch gag where <laughs> yes. it's it's just like, here's an opportunity, you know, every episode to spend 30 seconds on a fun throwaway little joke before we, we get to the task at hand. Uh, Yeah, so uh, they enter into the next car, which is the crystal car. This is a uh, sprawling landscape where everything is made out of this clear, uh, beautiful, prismatic crystal. And they wander across and they find the door, uh, but it is high and out of reach. And uh, so they're kind of puzzling how to, to get to it. When they are greeted by a crystal gentleman, uh, who has a cute mustache and a crystal top hat, uh, and he kind of greets them and, um, he is mute. He cannot talk. So he, he communicates in pantomime.
3: Oh. <laughs> this is, this is the, this is the episode that, like, sent my nerd brain into orbit because I was like, no, there, you can't, he can't be mute. Like, <laughs> I was just like, okay, humans are, like, primarily composed of carbon, and I'm like, silicone is, like, the closest—if I'm remembering my high school science, silicone is, like, the closest element to carbon. I'm like, you'd be crystalline, but— wouldn't you have like, wouldn't you be able to vibrate your crystals in order to make sound? How, how is there a society of crystal people that can't communicate through either speech or, or written language? And then I said, you need to stop Leonard. You just need to enjoy the
2: ride and let this roll. And I said, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, they
1: communicate through vibe. Yes. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, they he kind of presents uh, the little conundrum about how to get out. You know, they're kind of puzzling through it. And the answer, it seems, is that there is a uh, like a little significantly placed crystal that reacts to music and you have to sing to it. And so they kind of take turns uh, singing to it. Uh, Atticus immediately starts singing like a ballad of his people and just starts howling, and they're just like, "Nope, that's not going to work." <laughs> uh, one one goes up and just plays a dial-up noise.
2: Yep, Love I thought that. It really <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, they they uh, kind of puzzle back and forth, trying out these different solutions. Tulip uh, starts singing all of these different songs, like, every song that she can think of. Uh, and she is terrible in a way that, like, feels <laughs> relatable. Uh, you know, she's just, like, having fun with karaoke, but she sucks.
2: Yeah. And then she gets to the song that that means something to her,
3: and, and it's word up by Cameo, and it made me really sad because I... Adore that song. Wait a <laughs> second. That's,
1: that's a real song. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. I oh, yeah. was a no, show. no, that's a no, real no, song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: That's, that's
3: great. That's word up by Cameo. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I didn't know songs. that I would have
0: called that a road trip song, but I've definitely listened to it on the radio in the car so i guess yeah
3: oh yeah that was yeah that would have been a road trip song for me and Mm -hmm. so like my heart broke like it felt (laughs) I, i really was like i was like i don't know if i should be angry about it because she's like so like I don't want to sound mean, but she's, like, so petulant and dismissive about, like, singing it and embarrassed about singing it. But I'm like, that's one of my fucking songs of all time. Like, you give that song respect to love.
2: (laughs) Well, I think
0: she knows she can't sing. Yes. And so it's... It's a favorite song, but she's, she's, you know, it's different if you're singing along to the radio or if everyone in the car is just jamming out. But if you're just off the cuff trying to like a cappella something, that's way different. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's, an,
3: it's not different from me, Dave. I sing, wow. I sing Word Up. I sang Word Up three times before I jumped on this recording tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah. So that's that's uh slightly ahead. She at, at one point she tries to subvert the puzzle by just building uh, a crystal ladder.
0: Yeah, while well, uh, while Atticus is telling his like hours yeah. long um, ballad,
1: <laughs> yes, exceedingly long, uh, full of the courage of you know uh, mustard seed or whatever the mm. the
0: stinky dog stinky butt war. or something. <laughs>
1: uh um, stinktail
0: i don't
1: remember yeah stinktail that was it yeah so but, um, <laughs>
0: this episode is the one where i didn't have the sound on so i didn't get to hear her renditions
1: <laughs> no, they're pretty special uh and she does like the thing that i i appreciate which is like you know she's like yeah it's good like she like pantomimes like a little drum solo mm-hmm. in, yeah, in she, she beat boxes it. it a little bit <laughs> yeah uh which just again you know feels uh feels very relatable for you know uh just kind of jamming out by yourself. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, eventually like the epiphany is that the the crystal gentleman tells her that she you know, she's been trying to sing a song for the crystal and she needs to sing a song for herself. Uh and you know, she needs to kind of make herself a little bit vulnerable. And so that's why she gets so uh, you know comparatively uncomfortable singing this this road trip song uh word up a real song that exists that you can listen to on youtube.com uh but yeah uh she she's listening you know uh these things that you know mean something to her and uh her kind of making herself vulnerable is what kind of solves the puzzle uh by summoning a huge crystal golem who uh, procures a giant crystal scarecase? Uh, he flicks the ladder away, <laughs> much to her disappointment, uh, and then takes out a tiny little key and unlocks the door for her.
0: It's like a super, super. T- you're you're not selling how small that key is.
1: It's itty itty bitty.
0: It has to hold with like little crystal fingernails, and then <laughs> the golem turns and walks away, and then cakes off into the distance because it has golem crystal buns, and it's great.
1: Yeah, the the Crystal Gentleman also has uh, crystal buns, which <laughs> are are pretty good. Pretty funny detail.
3: Yeah, it's basically the equivalent of uh, I think Dave will relate to this. Of uh, what if the girl that you went to uh, a girl that you went to middle school with had a uh, best friend charm bracelet? <laughs> <laughs> that also had a little like secret compartment in the yeah. heart area, and that's the size of the key that the golem
2: procures out of it. Yeah, it's it's good. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, so as far as like the animation,
0: I I, I was again watching this without sound on, and I could get like the they really sold how uncomfortable she was singing
2: mm-hmm. and
0: even just how bad she's saying like it's just in it's in her expression in her body language and everyone else going you can stop that now <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so the episodes end with them uh escaping from the car and tulip's number once again drops this time i think to double digits yeah it um, it, um
2: it's like 89 or something it just shoots down
1: yeah. Um we're not really evaluating these like point by point. Uh this is the episode that I feel is like a little bit slight, uh in comparison to the other it, ones. It
0: doesn't have anything there's not a lot going on. It's in they're all kind of in one location, but they're not moving. I think it's because they're now in one they're
2: rooted to like one spot since they found the door right away. Um yeah. but it's a little it bit of a problem has more of a punch to it. So it
0: it's it, It's brief but i think there's more resonance going on because it's showing her being more vulnerable than just being headstrong
2: Mm -hmm.
3: i I was actually going to agree with your point on this is the the bottle episode at least of the five that we're going to be covering today um because, hey, guess what? animation's expensive, and sometimes <laughs> you need to make a bottle episode sometimes you need to make a sauna episode of <laughs> of an animated series uh in order to to make ends meet and i I did appreciate like the the emotional art of it, like okay, we can't do a lot with the animation, so we're going to like do a lot of character stuff in this one because this is the 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 episode that that um, really like doesn't change tulip but like highlights aspects of her character that we weren't getting
2: before
1: yeah uh but that uh you know comparatively slight episode is going to segue into the most dense episode that we are going to be talking about episode 5 the cat car so uh this episode's cold open uh very cute tyrannosaurus baseball uh it appears that she's just helped them win you know regionals or whatever <laughs> as they, they going to go to <laughs> yeah uh it's very sweet um But uh, as they go to step into the next car, uh, the bridge that kind of connects them retracts, and we see a new car slot into place, giving us a new epiphany. The cars can rearrange themselves, so uh, that has implications for, you know, uh, ever getting to the front of the train.
0: Yes. There's a clear, like tulip has that this is a bunch of bullshit face when she saw that that switched
3: i mean i mean anybody no anybody (laughs) would be she's been running through
0: (laughs) so many of these just like
3: that one skipped
0: ahead like 12 cars
3: and it's worth it's worth noting that the car that is replaced with the one that she was uh, initially trying to enter uh comes from the front of the train
2: not behind yeah.
1: yes um and and so like the implication is like is the train just always adding more cars are they shuffling them around with intent? like whatever it is like to the, the impression that tulip definitely gives off is like you know she cares about rules and this is breaking what she thought was an established rule.
3: <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> like, that rule, the rule thing, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's the labyrinth, all right. <laughs> it's not fair, but that's the way it is. Deal with it. Yeah.
1: Um. So, you know, uh, one way or the other, uh, they open into the next room, uh, which takes us into, uh, like, this cozy antique horde you know, it's kind of piled high with all these eclectic artifacts, but it has like a, a cozy quality to it. Uh and we hear a familiar voice and discover that this is the home of the cat. Yes. So the cat is back, baby. Um Tulip naturally doesn't want anything to do with her. We're just passing through, uh and just starts, you know, walking, beelining for the entrance. Uh but the cat uh knocks over some interesting looking tapes uh in front of her. Uh says, oh, you know, be a deer and pick those up. So Tula picks one up and it has TULIP's name on it in the same kind of glowing green letters as her number.
3: This was the this was the moment of like, oh yeah, I'm I'm just I I'm I'm an old jerk. Because it, I'm like, it's it's clear that the cat deliberately knocks these things off of the shelf, oh, and I'm yes. like, I, I'm just like, yeah, fuck you, I'm 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 leaving. I'm not gonna help you with any of this. I would have kicked them to the side to get to the door, and I'm like, oh, you're you're a better person than I am, Tulip, and that's gonna come back to bite you.
1: Yeah, and, and everyone is clearly suspicious and not on board. But like this is interesting enough to at least divert their attention uh, momentarily. And the cat, you know, claims uh, with this tape that every passenger has one, uh, which is is, a, is is a cool and evocative detail. But uh, yeah, the cat invites her to watch it, so brings her over to a little TV. There's a little, you know. It, I think it looks kind of like a Betamax. Like it doesn't look like a VHS. It looks the, the
0: cassette looks itself. Good. Yeah, looks looks like a Betamax. But I I don't recall a front loading Betamax. Usually they oh top-load. yeah they were always
3: top loading. Yeah. yeah,
1: from my recollection,
0: for the yeah. ones that we've had,
3: they were top loading. But
0: anyway, but,
1: uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a a chunky old technology. It looks
0: more thing. like a weird eight track.
2: Because there's like, there's like angle, there's a, they're not um, rectangular, there's like a angle on one side. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, It's a train tape. (laughs) But the cat, like, loads it into the VCR, and her companions are like bickering and just being like, we don't have time for this, we're we're not gonna put up with it. Uh, But the moment that the tape goes in, uh, Tulip is just like, sucked into this white void. Uh, She goes into the
2: sunken place. uh
1: yeah and this white void is filled with these little these little windows that have her memories on them on these like floating little screens uh and so curious you know she goes over to one and touches it and then suddenly is able to find herself like transported into these these scenes from her past
3: i i yeah i really like the sequence because it it so and you know i keep referencing um you know other other pieces of media that i've watched and over the course of my lifetime but this this next sequence more than anything kind of feels like the logical step up of the junk lady sequence from Mm. labyrinth when she shows Mm -hmm. her sarah's Room and it's like, yeah, just stay here, but no, it's interactive and it's no, go through your memories, like lose yourself in that, like just go to the places that make you feel better and don't move forward. And it, it feels like a nice escalation of the concept that they presented in Labyrinth, uh, in a really fun and interesting way.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, as we're saying, you know, uh, if you're genre savvy, there are definitely going to be things that you recognize from this. I feel like I've seen uh, versions of this, but it's it's really cool to me to see, like, um, you know, ultimately what is intended to be, like, a prison of your own memories. Right. Um, I, I think that this is a really cool and evocative scene. Um, so, yeah, she is in these memories and she uh goes to you know a couple in a row there's like a road trip there's uh just her with her her parents like her parents are kind of the common denominator of these uh and her parents are together and they're happy um uh, and so one of them is them at like you know the equivalent of like a SeaWorld or something and they're watching the dolphins and it's real fun and cool.
3: I I just have to say the 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 sea like the the SeaWorld thing was real weird and real felt really targeted to me specifically because I distinctly remember being taken to a place known as MarineLand as a child yep. and um that's where i experienced my first bout of acrophobia when my father picked me up as a toddler and put me over the railing of like at least Ooh. a st- two are on on top of the railing of a two-story drop of a walrus pit <laughs> so mm-hmm. i was just like i was just like oh show i don't <laughs> like this this feels way too targeted, and I don't appreciate what you're doing right now. So I will say that the sequence was super effective.
1: I have very distinct memories of going to SeaWorld or Marineland, one of those two, when I was very young, and just being like, this is the worst fucking amusement park that's ever been. It's like four miles of hiking to get to any attraction, and there's like nothing to see here. Uh this sucks. So the uh, the what it turns into is like kind of my <laughs> my point of reference.
2: Um
1: but yeah, so so she's like kind of going through these memories. Um and eventually she ends up in one where she's like wandering in her house and we start to see that you know things are wrong. Like the train is seeping into her memories, like things aren't quite right. She sees a commercial on the TV which features Atticus and 1-1 and they're trying to sell donut holers and uh, you know there, there's a clear sense of unreality you know she sees a younger version of herself kind of pantomiming to someone on the couch that isn't there uh, you know there's that sense of unreality um, that's seeping in that I think really hits the uncanny note in a way that uh, that works for me and uh, the next one that she sees is her parents, like, kind of congratulating her on her accomplishments and saying that she got into a prestigious school, but doesn't matter because she's not going to school. She's going to be a game designer. Uh, and dad says, step aside, Shigeru, which I think is, <laughs> is very funny. Um, But we see, like, her, like, acknowledge that something's wrong and suddenly, like, it starts to slowly twist and become a horror scene.
3: Yeah, I really, I, I really like the turn that this went with. Once again, there's a lot of like conceptually evocative stuff in the show that really hits with me. And, and this turn into like the thing that you wanted, the thing
2: that you dreamed of being twisted and attacking you um really uh hits with me. Mm-hmm. and i think that a lot of the horror in it
0: isn't even um that that shift that tonal shift that's happening uh or i guess visual shift that's happening but the fact that these um the memories that are being presented to her are how she it's her coping mechanism i think that that's what she actually yeah. was remembering mm-hmm versus well, I don't think it's what, what actually she's happened it's
1: like what she's she's you know wants it to be you know she's deliberately rewriting her memories to be she is
0: appealing. but i don't think it's, it's not something conscious like she just thinks yeah. that that's how it happened and then she's like wait actually this other thing is how it actually was going on is yeah. how that read so. to me
1: I I think you're totally right in saying that like this is a a very literal way to force her to confront like the coping mechanisms that mm. she's been yeah putting on, um and and we see you know when these things start uh becoming horrifying when she gets consumed in the the falseness of her her memories when uh you know the dissonance happens like this static. Uh, starts creeping up her body kind of threatening to consume her and now she's kind of going back through those same memories that she was going through earlier but remembering them how they actually happened with her parents fighting over petty things sea world being totally lame with you know one dolphin that's just like not going through a hoop because, uh, spoiler, like those water shows aren't good, uh, for anyone involved. They're not good for the animals. They're not good for the audience. Um,
2: no, the other dolphin died. So it's like, <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like, oh, it's, that's it's why it's this place closed scene. down. Um, yeah. A- and so, uh, as she remembers things, you know, kind of honestly, uh, the static retreats, um, she has a memory of her parents talking about the divorce but them like delighting in it uh uh turning twisting becoming demonic with the the house turning into flames around her uh before she like stops and rejects it and remembers how it really happened uh as this like kind of somber down to earth discussion about them you know working through things and just saying like we tried to to make it work but you know ultimately we're too different and things just aren't aren't working out between us and you know it it's this kind of very sad uh you know played straight um very relatable scene to me with the the house still on fire behind like just kind of quietly burning um which feels like a very silent hill you know visual metaphor to me
0: yeah it's it's that kind of breakdown and then it's her breaking down the events and understanding
2: because she is now slightly more mature than she had been when the events went down so she's able
0: to she's able to step outside of herself like in this case literally and see what's going on and then see what she was doing at that time and going oh yeah, maybe I wasn't handling this like the best way I could have, but you, I mean, she still gets what's going on. It still affects
2: her, like, regardless. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I
3: have to say that I actually really appreciate the, the reference to Silent Hill because this whole sequence kind of feels like a perspective flip of the entirety of uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Um, Oh, if, interesting. If you're uh familiar with that game, uh, uh so uh you know, instead of viewing it from Harry's perspective, the the spoilers for however old that game is, it's it, it is a reimagining of Silent Hill 1, but it is um ultimately shown to be told from uh Cheryl's perspective. While she's in therapy from Dr. Kaufman and the entirety of the game while you're playing as Harry is her memories of the man that he was and that that like
2: that felt equivalent to this entire like episode, at least the the VHS part of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not really going to get into it, uh, until we finish out the season, but, like, part of my thesis is that, like, yeah, I think there's definitely some Silent Hill DNA in this, Mm -hmm. in this series as a whole, uh, despite, you know, kind of in the same way that, like, Coraline has a lot of children's DNA, despite Mm -hmm. being, uh, a children's media property, Mm -hmm. um, but kind of playing around in some of those same. Uh, oh, yeah, ideas. for sure.
0: That that's that's a I that's one I've watched repeatedly because it is um
2: it's smart in what it's doing and is still like creepy. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, I love Coraline. Yeah. Um but yeah, so she's kind of able to, you know, self-actualize a little bit. She's able to confront her feelings and be honest with herself about the things that happened and be honest with how she felt about it and with that epiphany she's kind of uh freed from from the trap of the the television set so she snaps back to reality and you know m- at the exact same moment that she left um you know Atticus is still mid sentence objecting to to spending time here and saying that they should go uh and the cat immediately realizes that the jig is up uh is very nervous and just like oh Back so soon. Um, So yeah, they are uh, understandably pissed about this. Uh, Get up and leave the car. Uh, At which point we see the car once again kind of detach itself, uh, rush along the top of the train, and then uh, the cat gets some visitors uh, as we see the... Steward? Yes, the steward uh show up again uh and with him is this terrifying, kind of shadowy figure. uh we do not see a good look of it; It simply has a robotic red line uh a waveform of some kind mm-hmm. that is there um but this seems to be what the steward defers to uh The steward makes it clear. That the cat has failed in her purpose, so the cart appearing directly in front of Tulip clearly was no accident. Um, and as the final, you know, act of punishment, uh, the steward destroys the interior of this car, smashing her precious artifacts and relics, which clearly distressed the cat a great deal.
3: I was just like, I was just like when that happened. I was just like, and then King Trident found Ariel's grotto and blew
2: everything to shit. Yeah, uh, very, very similar. Dinglehopper.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but uh, you know, this uh, mysterious uh, figure calls off the steward and. the cat is ordered not to fail again and that is where episode five of infinity train ends
3: hey stakes raised threat established good yep. midway
1: point yeah it's a good midpoint climax i think uh especially introducing uh this new this new
2: threat yes
1: Yeah, so uh, that is the first half. We will be back later to talk about the second half. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts on uh, this first half of the season?
2: No, I think we covered this one pretty well, um, unless you have something, Leonard. It's I wasn't sure
0: what to expect going into it. I knew there was a train and it was infinite. Um <laughs> but I didn't watch any. I just watched the first episode and went, okay, yeah, this is, um, it's heavier than I would have anticipated something on Cartoon Network, um, to be, (laughs) but I like appreciated that. It's, it's not talking down to its audience. It's not, um, there's stuff to read into. Um, there's room for that. The characters have at least so far, and at least,
2: um, in, in, Tulips regards like an arc that's visible, and mm-hmm. that's super appreciated. Um, but
0: yeah, just letting the viewers draw their own conclusions, there's space to make conjectures of things as you kind of go along. And with something that's uh, such brief episodes, um,
2: it's surprising that, that how much you can cram into like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah. Uh we, I think between, you know, Over the Garden Wall and Infinity Train and Steven Universe and Adventure Time, like those short format shows uh have really proven that they can they can pack a dramatic punch if they want to.
3: Uh so I do want to say that um I I and and really apologies to anybody who's listening to the episode that um Got the once again uh uh where I gave the impression that I didn't like the show. I do like the show, I think it's really clever, I think it's really smart um and uh in in talking about it this way, I think I have like gained a greater appreciation for for what it's doing, like distilling it down to like its core narrative beats because they're i'm not gonna lie there's there's an aspect to it where there are you know minutes long bits that feel really memey. uh and i'm just like that's not what i'm here for but talking about like the core essence of what this show's narrative is um really um has given me a a greater appreciation for what i I i've seen so far so i'm actually very excited to to wrap up this this first
2: season next time we talk about it.
1: yeah and uh spoiler that the second half of this season are where my favorite episodes are like i think that uh some really cool stuff is is waiting for us in the future
0: yeah and those those sentiments Leonard. i that's something that over the last however long uh, we've run into, I think, again and again, where it's not yes. just you, but um, one of us in general. Um, we may not all be on on the same page at the beginning of the episode, but um, it breaking the things down, doing the discussion that we do, uh, can foster, I think, an appreciation for something, even if you don't necessarily jive with it um, 110%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will also say that the 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 cold open parts, particularly in episode four and five, they, those, I don't enjoy them. Um, (laughs) It's more that I'm watching. I was just watching them in a row. So two episodes to do that. It just that you just did that. You did that 10 minutes ago. So I didn't want to see it again. Um, but I understand why it's there because of the pacing. You only have 10 minutes to show like there's a broader thing. You can, you're you've visually established there's like a thousand uh train cars and without <laughs> a- acknowledging that there's uh, some differences in there uh you could end up being
2: too samey right if you don't have time to camp out on like different cars yeah uh
1: you know they work for me. Uh, again, I talk about them kind of like uh, Simpsons couch gags where mm-hmm. they they mostly are there just as like a little throwaway joke. Um, but I understand that perspective.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, it, it's so brief. It, it doesn't do anything detrimental to the show. Um, right. I just saw them too quickly in succession. I was like, I don't. I saw what you did. I don't. Okay. Ha ha. You know
3: um i i did like to once again i i already spoke about why i like the basically italy one because it had like <laughs> this art style and 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 like a story that i'm like oh man i do kind of wish that i had watched that one because that seemed really nice and and stress-free and something that i would have enjoyed but yeah um i i i totally get that perspective of like especially if you're kind of slamming them back to
2: back like it's the sameness could probably be like what
0: and and because it's like you you're you're seeing in the first instance they're exiting the car and in the second i mean they're they're both exiting the car but you're seeing the other car just through the doors so Mm -hmm. you have to have um, something striking or really different about the art direction in that small space mm-hmm. uh, to to set it off from like whatever, where, whatever they're going into and they do a good job with that. Like you, okay. You know, you can understand at a glance they were doing a baseball game for dinosaurs.
2: I mean, that's different. Um, So it's, it's still fun little moments. It's just, there it was, there was an issue of pacing mostly or, you know, being too close together in
0: time watching it. So if this was like a weekly, I don't know what the release date or format was on this. I'm imagining it's weekly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then you, I don't, I think it's going to hit differently. Right. Because you, you didn't, you know, you're not going to remember every
3: little bit from week before. (laughs) Um, Uh, Unless unless you're me, the Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're me, Dave.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. We can't all have, um...
3: Photographic memory, but uh... weird, weird, freak brain. I per- I prefer weird, freak brain instead of photographic memory. That sounds too clean and well, too nice.
0: A self-appellation is different than if I said it about
1: you. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that is going to wrap up this episode of Monster, Dear Monster. Uh Leonard, where can the nice people find you?
3: Yes, people can find me on Twitter at dr Faust is dead uh and people can that's where I post pictures of my cats and food and uh What I presume are witticisms, people I get enough likes to assume that people actually care about things that I say, so I'm going to go with that. And people can also follow me on Twitter at Umbra Knox Productions. And if you're interested in seeing my video essay work, you can go to YouTube and search for Dr. Faust is Dead. And if you're interested in my film work, you can go on YouTube as well, and search for Umbra Knox Productions. Dave, where can people find you on the internet?
0: They can find me primarily on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. That will be in the show notes as always. Uh, Cameron, you can find on Twitter at knight underscore twitten, and that's knight without a K. He will be back maybe sometime this month. He's, he's a very busy boy. He's got a um, a wedding coming up so there's just mm-hmm. stuff to do always something to do Matt, uh, we will be back yes you <laughs> <laughs> will be be back um sometime soon
1: <laughs> and i have been your host adam i am an animator and game designer if you would like to follow me i am Available on Twitter at Adam Bucherry. If you'd like to check out my uh, tabletop games, you can find me on itch.io uh, at BooCherry.itch.io. That is boo like ghost, cherry like fruit.
2: And you can thanks for coming. Yep. And you can find the podcast at monsterdeer.monster.
1: I said thanks for coming, which is a dumb way to sign off. I don't know what I was thinking on that one. I have the power of edit.
3: <laughs> And and, and, and we're still technically recording, so I I want Dave to leave all of this in because I think it's personally
1: gold. (laughs) Yeah, this is a monument to my shame now.
3: (laughs) Goodbye,
2: everyone. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye, folks. (laughs) Monster Dear Monster is brought to you by Fireheart Media. If you enjoyed the show, please share this and all of our episodes with friends.
0: And remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Word of mouth is the only way we grow. If you like, you can also kick us a few bucks to help us keep the lights on at ko-fi.com slash fireheartmedia. Check out our other show, Jalachan's Place, at www.jalachan.place.